welcome to All Right in Sin City, a podcast about writers and writing in the Windsor, Detroit region. Your podcasters today are Irene Moore Davis, author, educator, and local historian, Kim Conklin, Windsor based writer and filmmaker, and me, Sarah Jarvis, former bookseller, publishing rep, and literary festival chair. Recording takes place online with safe physical distancing. Our featured guest this episode is Dorothy Mahoney. Dorothy Mahoney is the author of several poetry collections, including Off Leash with Palances Press. Her poetry has been included in numerous anthologies, most recently Heartwood, Poems for the Love of Trees, which is with the League of Canadian Poets. Her high boon, Empathy, won an honorable mention in the Genwan International Haibun Contest in Japan to, in 2017. Dorothy is a former member of the Literary Arts Windsor Board, and she is a hospice volunteer in Windsor. So welcome, Dorothy. Thanks. Thanks for having me. This is Our very pleasure. <laughs> so you've been writing poetry for a while now. What got you interested in, and started writing with poetry? Well, it's... Uh... It's kind of an odd story in a way in that uh, what happened was my uh, teacher in grade school had passed away and uh, as a way of coping, the teachers had us write poems for a tree dedication and my poem was selected to be one that would be read and uh, I still remember them calling me into the office and uh, asking if I would change one line. Uh, I remember thinking that the poem should somehow symbolize the teacher as a tree. And so I said that he branched out discipline and they didn't really like that line. <laughs> but uh, it was, a, it was a, a pretty serious ceremony. And I think after that, I, I thought, wow, I think I can do this. This is a, something that's a real, a real gift that I can cultivate. And so after that, I, I wrote all the time. Uh, and then, ironically enough, my um, cousin, uh, my husband's cousin was doing a uh, history, a family history book, and she asked if I would write a poem for it. So I wrote about trees and how trees have roots, the way that the family had roots and so on. And then uh, it was picked up by the um, funeral directors, and so they asked me if I wanted to read it at the tree planting dedication that they used to do in the fall so I was very surprised how emotional that reading was because they had a fellow who released the white doves and uh, they had incredible music and I read my poem and it was extremely emotional but then too there were like 3,000 people there so to have gone from one little tree dedication in my grade school to this huge tree planting uh, dedication for the funeral home was a pretty amazing journey. And then the anthology of the uh, tree poems by the League, it all has kind of come full circle. Do you all work in other genres as well? Uh, prose, fiction? Um, I, I mainly write in, in poetry, but with crossing into Haibun, I find myself writing more prose. There was a time when uh, 
I was a little bit stuck on what to write about. So uh, I, I devised a, a schedule for myself. In the morning, I would get up, make a pot of coffee, sit down. Then there was a, a website called Drabbler. And what they wanted you to do, Drabbler is 100 words. So the screen was set up, and it would count each word as you typed it in. So every morning, I would write a Drabble, whether it was good or not. And uh, the people on that website were very kind. They would always comment on what worked, what didn't work. And so it, it often felt kind of like a, almost like a joke where you put the story and then you had this strong punchline. And the punchline always kind of came back to the title. And so then that just re reinforced writing Haiboon. But then Madeline Sonic at one time was the writer in residence at the university, so I brought her 20 of my drabbles, and she said, you know, you could probably connect them into kind of an experimental novel. So that's kind of on the back burner. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So Dorothy, selecting a specific style of poetry, such as Haibun, which is a combination of prose and haiku, presents a certain challenge of adapting one's ideas to a form. What drew you to that style? Well, it's funny because I took an online course with Patrick Lane, and one of the assignments was to write a haiboon, and, and I just sucked at it. <laughs> and then uh, I, I thought, well, I, I can write a haiku, and I practiced that. And then the, at that point was when I was writing the drabbles. And so because I wrote them every day, I had over 100 of them, I start to, I start to get better at the prose writing. And then, uh, and then it became a real challenge to try and put that little hook of the haiku at the end, uh, I kind of see it like a triangle. So you've got the title, you've got the prose, and you've got the haiku, and they all have to link together somehow without actually repeating themselves. So it's a kind of a puzzle that you solve for yourself, I guess. That's the challenge. Are there other poetic styles that you use in your work? Um, it, it seems that I'm really drawn to the condensed, compact uh, version of things. So I uh, came across something called a seven lane, which is really fun to write because it's only seven lines. So in this new collection, I have two attempts at seven lanes. I, I don't know if I'm really that good at it yet, but maybe if I write a hundred of those. So it's it's based on a poem that Anna Akhmatova had written. She's a Russian, the Russian poet. And uh, so her poem has kind of gone widespread. And, and so it suddenly became called a sevenling. And it's, it's a fun form to try and master. So Victor has a very supportive writing and listening community. How have you tapped into the community to support your own writing? Windsor is really amazing. I mean, there's your podcast, which is, which I've just recently discovered, and I I love your logo. I think you should do a T-shirt. I think they would really sell. It's so cool. <laughs> but um, we're very lucky. I mean, there's over six presses in in Windsor, um, and you know all of them, I'm sure. Uh, but then too, we have some really unique writers. So um, I know. One of my favorites, Vanessa Shields. Um, I I like to go to her mouthpiece things that she used to do. Uh, in fact, at one point I got a mouthpiece pen and a mouthpiece pillow, and 
she's just a lot of fun. And I've been to her Gertrude's room, which is a lovely, lovely location. Uh, she's she's just such a good, uh, well, her blog too. She's just a real good supporter of other writers. Um, and her poetry on demand. She's very clever. She's really creative. I always love talking with her and, and we'll sit Sometimes we'll meet and talk about poetry, and she really is the, the kind of motivational speaker you want uh, when you're writing. Uh, and of course, Marianne Mulhern, she's wonderful to talk to, too. I have coffee with her. I used to belong to a small writing group with Lenore Langs and, and now to see Sandy Pepper and Marie Groundwater and Karen Olette, and uh, we would meet frequently and we put out some anthologies through Cranberry Tree Press, but um, there are a lot of wonderful writers. And, and I find too, if you can link with, with another community, for example, I was very fortunate in that I went out west and met a lot of these west coast poets. And so when they come into town, they often stay at, at our place. So I've had Wendy Morton here and Barbara Palman and, um, some of the other poets from out west and so when terry ann carter comes uh she was the past president of haiku canada and so what i know she's in town sometimes she stays with marianne and she stayed with marty before and she stayed with me but i like to have a salon night where we do our renku which is really fun you invite you know seven or eight people and you take turns linking haiku and a long renku and she is definitely a renku master she's awesome so uh i think uh when you are a writer in such a supportive community you, you get together as often as you can and you support each other's readings and you know hang out together that's part of the fun can you tell us a little bit, speaking of the community, you've also branched out into working with the hospice. Can you tell us a little bit about that and your role as a volunteer? Sure. Um, maybe that's a bit of a long story, but what started it really was uh, my husband had prostate cancer, and at that time they didn't have a da Vinci machine in Windsor. So we had to go to Hamilton, and in Hamilton they have a wonderful place called the Mark Priest House. So I stayed there and it's run by volunteers and I was so impressed. They were so kind uh, that I thought I, I could see myself doing something that way. So then when we came back, I asked at hospice. And so you take a 30 hour course and then you get to decide what it is you would like to do. And they have all kinds of different roles. And then if, if it's not something that suits you, you can always switch to other things. So um i wasn't sure what i wanted to do but then uh i decided to try the uh, residential home so i helped the psw with bathing and feeding and uh it, it's really something different for me because i've never done a lot of physical kind of work so um, i found that really uh, interesting and fulfilling for me i've been there four years now and then the other thing, too, is they have all kinds of different programs. So I also help out with life stories. So I've done quite a few of those where you get a client and you meet with them confidentially for three meetings and you record their life story for them. And then 
uh, at hospice, they'll put it on a hospice jump drive. There's only one copy. Uh, the client gets the life story and can share it in any way that they like to. So, yeah, it's very fulfilling, both of those uh, roles. Yeah, it, it's amazing how many volunteers there are there. And there are so many different things you can do. Uh, you can be a driver, you can you know, be a reception, you can work in the kitchen. They have an immense amount of volunteers there. It's really a, a wonderful place. So has that volunteer work inspired your writing at all? Well, it, one of the things that understood is that it's very confidential. So I never really thought I would write about it. But then uh, I'd gone to a workshop out west with Patrick Lane, and uh, he had us write about work or some something work related and uh, I, I started writing about what it was like to work there and then before I knew it I it just all kind of poured out on the page so I've been very careful that it's very generic but uh, there's a, a woman um, that I met there Graham um, Ann Graham and she also was a hospice worker but um, in Victoria and she said that the experiences were it's very similar for her too. So uh, I think by making them generic, they um, they they fit every every everyone really. So so conversely, does the work that you do as a poet have any impact on your work as a volunteer at hospice? Does the poetry help you with that work? Uh, I guess all writing is therapeutic, right? So um, yeah, it was. I had been writing a, a few grief pieces before that and trying to come to grips with grief myself uh, Well, my, when my husband had cancer and then I also had a bout of cancer as well and then my brother-in-law passed away, he had cancer and then uh, our dog got really sick <laughs> and I just see there's always seems in your life as if there's so much rain, there's just no way to cope with it all. Uh, and you've got to build yourself some kind of arc. And sometimes that arc <laughs> is poetry. So what's your next project? Um, I've been doing quite a bit of traveling. And so uh, I thought that maybe some of the travel poems would come to play in this new collection. But uh, my editor, John Crescent at Palmsist Press, is really good at focusing a project. So she took the travel poems out and she said, I know you travel a lot, but these don't really fit in here. Even though I tried to sneak rain into absolutely everyone. <laughs> There's rain in the Ecuador rainforest. There's rain in Ireland. I tried to sneak it in every way I could. And she said, you know what? These just don't really fit with the grief poems. So uh, I think probably that's where I'm going next, some travel poems. And then I do want to try the uh, experimental novel probably at some point. I'm still working on that beautiful image of, of the ark and, and the image of rain. And I think that that's great. Oh, thanks. Fodder. Yeah. 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 It, that was one thing that Patrick Lane and I, I know other poets have said it too. You have to kind of think of this as that, this is that. And so your similes and metaphors, you try and, and, and construct them in such a way that you get a better understanding of what grief is and, how you can deal better with grief. So uh, at one point, my uh, younger son had shown me something uh, uh, that was posted on the net somewhere, uh, a Michigan farmer after a rainstorm had these 
apples in his orchard that had been totally encrusted by ice. And then as it warmed up a little bit, the apples inside started to soften and then they fell out. And so these crystal apples were still hanging there. And, uh, and so I, I use that as, as one of the metaphors of what grief is so that you're whole, but you're hollow. And so even though there's that kind of crystalline kind of beauty to all of it, there's that feeling of, of emptiness. So, yeah. Yeah. That's, something I guess we all go through and we all hopefully are able to cope with it and to understand ourselves better as part of the journey. That's a really, really lovely image. Um, would you like to read to us a little bit from your, your book? Oh, sure, sure. I have a confession. I don't actually have the book yet. So, <laughs> so I've... Uh, I posted a couple of poems just behind my uh, screen here, hoping that uh, you could just look up. So um, we'll read you that grief poem. It's just called Grief. The last apples in the orchard encased by the ice storm, all that was inner apple becomes soft, slipping from the skins and dropping. This is grief, whole yet hollow ghost apple. It's interesting too, though, if you're really uh, aware of things that are going on around, and I guess it's kind of a purposeful noticing. And so uh, at one point, our daughter-in-law, she's from China, her uncle sent us a gift, and uh, they were the most incredible things. In fact, later I had to look it up on the internet because I wanted to know more about it. But uh, there's a, a part of China where they grow these incredible mandarin oranges and so what happens is they're hand-picked and uh, they hollow them out and then they put the tea inside and then they put them out into the sun to dry so that you have this little pouch that's orange peel on the outside and tea on the inside and then uh, it's called ganpu and so then you make the tea and so again th there was this image of something that had been hollowed out but here it was filled, so a gift of tea from China. How like a poem, Gan Ku, a hollowed orange, hand-filled with loose tea, dried in the sun. In the quiet serenity of bird paradise, mandarin trees and rich soil of the Pearl Delta, so far from here. Lift it from the paper, hold it in your palm, Wake it with the first rinse, close your eyes, breathe in, let the words steep. Wow. Uh, I, I find this, probably, this collection probably has been the strongest in terms of imagery for me, um, definitely. Um, so I'll, I'll read you the uh, piece that went to Japan. Um, I was driving home from it shift and again it's one of those purposeful noticing things the car in front of me had a license plate and the license plate said m p a t h y so i was following empathy home it was so oh. yeah i don't know whose license plate it is maybe maybe you've seen it too so it's called empathy and it's a high boon so i was really trying to focus on the triangle aspect of the 
title, the prose piece, and then the haiku. Empathy. This is a license plate on the car ahead of me as I drive home from my shift. A woman stayed in room one while we washed her mother, a broken bird with bone cancer, arms bent against bare chest, fingers darkened, no longer able to hold on to things. The daughter talks about her heart and her head, how her mother wanted to die at home, and her heart tugs, but her head knows she cannot care for her. Each movement starts a whimper, hip fractured, head curled against neck. This is what it comes to, she says. You do what you can do. You do. Cracked cup, slow leak across the counter. It's, it's sad work sometimes, but, but the people there are very good and there's a lot of love, which is so important. Um, so as for the sevenling that I had mentioned earlier, um, this one is called When the Pandemic Starts. When the pandemic starts, they tell us, self-isolate, cough into your elbows, scrub your hands. In other countries, patients on ventilators die alone, corpses stacked in refrigerated trucks. There are no funerals. Our can opener breaks. Before us, cans that won't open, expiry dates sealed. We've been seeing quite a few uh, different birds lately. I think uh, the storms are kind of blowing them through, although some people are saying too, with you know less traffic and less noise and less pollution. So um, I was very surprised the other day to see an indigo bunting in our backyard. And I had written a poem uh, called Lazulu lazuli bunting, uh, but they're not exactly the same. The indigo bunting is all blue and the lazuli has a, kind of a white chest to it. But some time ago in the paper, there had been an article about a woman who had seen this uh, bunting at a very strange time. Uh, lazuli bunting. Now I study sparrows closely as they flit through hedge gaps descend on fallen seeds and ascend as quickly with junco and chickadees. Just four days ago in zero temperature, a woman saw a bird with white wing bars and a spot of blue, a lazulu bunting, which should be wintering in Mexico. How often you see only sparrows because that's all you think you see. Once it is spring, how brilliant blue the bunting. Uh, and I think that's that whole purposeful noticing that uh, it's so easy just to look out there and go, oh, yeah, there's some little little beige birds out there doing their thing. But uh, uh, there, there are some pretty amazing things when you look closely. And I guess that's really what writing is about, looking closely. Um, when I was thinking about the collection and the whole metaphor of rain, there was a Bob Marley quote that I really liked. Some people feel the rain, others just get wet. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it depends just your capacity for, for emotion and empathy and feeling and, and love, I guess. Yeah. Wonderful. When is the uh, collection coming? I know there have been delays um, mm -hmm. because of the situation. When is the collection coming out approximately? In June. I hope in June. Yeah. Okay. I, I know that they are taking uh, some uh, advanced 
uh, orders, but I'm hoping in June. Yeah. It's wonderful. Thanks. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, Dorothy Mahoney, for joining us with this episode. And um, we look forward to reading this wonderful book. It's just been a joy to talk to you. Thank oh, you. thank you. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for joining us. Look for more episodes of All Right in Sin City wherever you listen to podcasts. Or check out our website, allrightinsincity.com. For information and announcements of new podcasts, Sign up to our email list or follow us on Facebook and Twitter.